open your Bibles or turn on your Bibles to Luke chapter 22. Now the feast of unleavened bread drew near, which is called the Passover. And the chief priests and the scribes were seeking how to put him to death, for they feared the people. Then Satan entered into Judas, called Iscariot, who was of the number of the twelve. He went away and conferred with the chief priests and officers how he might betray him to them. And they were glad and agreed to give him money. So he consented and sought an opportunity to betray him to them in the absence of a crowd. Then came the day of unleavened bread, on which the Passover lamb had to be sacrificed. So Jesus sent Peter and John, saying, Go and prepare the Passover for us, that we may eat it. They said to him, Where will you have us prepare it? He said to them, Behold, when you have entered the city, a man carrying a jar of water will meet you. Follow him into the house that he enters, and tell the master of the house, the teacher says to you, Where is the guest room, where I may eat the Passover with my disciples? And he will show you a large upper room furnished. Prepare it there. And they went and found it just as he had told them, and they prepared the Passover. And when the hour came, he reclined at table and the apostles with him. And he said to them, I have earnestly desired to eat this Passover with you before I suffer. For I tell you, I will not eat it until it is fulfilled in the kingdom of God. And he took a cup and when he had given thanks, he said, Take this, and divide it among yourselves. For I tell you that from now on, I will not drink of the fruit of the vine until the kingdom of God comes. And he took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and gave it to them, saying, this is my body, which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And likewise the cup after they had eaten, saying, This cup that is poured out for you is the new covenant in my blood. But behold, the hand of him who betrays me is with me on the table. Happy Palm Sunday, everyone. Our text today, I'll just read some portions from it. It opens with verse 1 of Luke 22. Now the Feast of Unleavened Bread drew near, which is called Passover. That's the opening day of the Passover itself, and then it's a week of not eating anything that's yeasted. No cakes, no cookies, no biscuits. Verse 2, the chief priests and the scribes sought how they might kill him, for they feared the people. They agonized. They wanted to kill him, but the people might resist. Plus, it was a time of Passover, and they wanted to get it done in a hurry. Between verse 2 and verse 7, 
Judas makes the deal with them to betray the Lord. Verse 7 says, Then came the day of unleavened bread. That's the day when the Passover must be killed. Notice verse 2, they saw it how they might kill him. And then verse 7, the day comes when the Passover must be killed. And he sent Peter and John saying, Go and prepare the Passover for us that we may eat. And he gives them clues how to find and rent the upper room. Verse 14, when the hour had come, he sat down, and the 12 apostles were with him. So Judas was there. Then he said to them, with fervent desire, I have desired to eat this Passover with you before I suffer. For I say to you, I will no longer eat of it until it is fulfilled in the kingdom of God. So I believe he is waiting on his return to call his church home where we'll have the great marriage supper of the Lamb and he'll celebrate Passover with us. Verse 17, then he took the cup and gave thanks and said, take this and divide it among yourselves. For I say to you, I will not drink of the fruit of the vine until the kingdom of God comes. At Passover, it involves four cups of wine and he served this to them and said, I'm not going to drink any more fruit of the vine until the kingdom of God comes. So he is, he is a teetotaler now, if it is true wine, waiting, using restraint till that day comes. It's interesting to me that the enemy probably had a hand in trying to make him a liar. When he was on the cross, they offered him a sponge with sour wine on it. He would have broken his word had he partaken of that. But he turned it down. Verse 19, he took bread, gave thanks, and broke it, and gave it to them, saying, This is my body, which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. There are so many clues of the gospel in that action right there. We celebrate today in communion. Likewise, he took the cup after supper, another one of the four cups, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood, which is shed for you. But behold, the hand of my betrayer is with me on the table. So he was the guest of honor. Judas was. He hand-fed him a special piece of bread that was dipped in gravy, the sop. He had washed his feet, and he instituted communion, and he was there. This is why I believe in open communion. It's for everyone to learn about the gospel. So the first communion service was not a closed communion. If anybody was unworthy, it would be Judas. But it's an opportunity for us to examine our hearts that if there's any shred of self-promotion or Judas-like tendencies, that we can repent. Avoiding taking communion because your heart isn't right doesn't really dodge the issue, does it? So communion is a call to examine ourselves. Thank you so much, Harvey and Diane. Don't our couples do a good job the first of every month we celebrate? Let's pray. Lord, I pray that you'd speak to us through this word today. In Jesus' name, amen. We're in a series called Honoring God and More, and today we're going to honor Passover. Can you say Passover? Passover. Honoring Passover. Here is the roots of Passover. The Lord in chapter 12 of Exodus, verse 2, This month shall be the beginning of months. It shall be the first month of the year to you. Now, Jews today have two first months of the year, two, <laughs> two New Year's. There's Rosh Hashanah, but this is the one the Lord instituted. 
Verse 3, speak to all the congregation of Israel, saying, on the tenth of this month, every man shall take for himself a lamb, could not have blemishes, and if they had a very small family or they were poor, they could share their lamb with another house, have company over. So Passover was instituted to be a family affair where other families are welcome. Verse 6, now you shall keep it until the 14th day of the same month. So the lamb lived in their house or in their yard or whatever for four days. And then he was slaughtered. Then the whole assembly of the congregation of Israel shall kill it at twilight on the 14th day. And they shall take some of the blood and put it on the doorpost and on the lintel of the houses where they eat it. And they were to roast it as well as uh, eat all of it. Nothing was to be left over. Verse 12, for I will pass through the land of Egypt on that night and will strike all the firstborn in the land of Egypt, both man and beast, against all the gods of Egypt. I will execute judgment. I am the Lord. Now the blood shall be a sign for you on the houses where you are. When I see the blood, I will pass over you. And the plague shall not be upon you to destroy you when I strike the land of Egypt. Now, this part of the story, just to cue everyone up so we're all on the same page, God made a covenant with a man named Abram, changed his name to Abraham and Sarah, gave them a miracle child named Isaac, who had a son named Jacob, through whom Jacob had 12 sons through whom Joseph became a deliverer and prime minister of Egypt and saved his family when they came during the time of famine to Egypt. And they settled there in the land of Goshen, the Nile Delta, rich farmland. They were there. And a new pharaoh arose who did not recognize the agreements made with the previous pharaohs and Joseph and his family, and he enslaved them. And 400 plus years later, this nation that God had promised Abraham, and he warned him that this kind of thing would happen, were ready to be set free. They had suffered enough. And Pharaoh was going to harden his heart and not let them go free. The simple question was, let's go into the wilderness and worship. And he wouldn't let them. And so the Lord began to send plagues. And uh, the first plague was... All the water in the Egyptian area of Egypt turned to blood, became undrinkable. And of course, there was an outcry, and Pharaoh would make a promise, oh, clear our water back up again, and I'll let you go, I'll let you go. And then he would harden his heart after the water cleared up. And then a new plague came. The same process would happen. And about halfway through these 10 plagues, the Lord began to harden Pharaoh's heart. Who knows, the Lord would take you through a process. And so nine plagues had happened, and here comes a tenth one, the death of the firstborn. In this plague, if you were Egyptian, you would lose your firstborn child, son, your firstborn cattle, your firstborn horse, everything firstborn in the house would die. And so this plague was going to attack the whole land. So Israel's deliverance wasn't God making a difference, but instituting a custom that they would celebrate every year. And it was through the eating of a lamb, but the, not only eating of the lamb, but 
slaughtering the lamb and putting the lamb's blood on the doorposts of the house and on the lintel. And when the plague came through, wherever there was blood on the doorposts, the plague would pass over that house. And it so broke the hearts of the Egyptians, they wanted to run them off. Get out of here. We can't take no more. It's hard to get rid of free labor. That's why this country lost over 600,000 lives fighting over slavery because it was going to tank the economy by all that cheap, even free labor called chattel slavery that we had in this land. And so God did it, not because he's mean, but it's the only way they would allow them to go free. And of course, then they changed their mind later and tried to go after them, and that is a whole other part of the story. So this became a custom that they were to practice every year. So every year, observant Jews celebrate what happened with special festivities. For seven days, they eat unleavened bread. They eat lamb. They do different things to remember. They have horseradish to remind them of the bitterness. And they eat parsley dipped in salt water to remind them of their tears and their sweat. And so they remember these things. And it's interesting to me that the Passover celebration has not been hijacked by the secular world to make it something that it, that it, it is not. Who knows a resurrection has nothing to do with Easter eggs and bunnies. How does a dead chicken embryo speak of new life? Hello? Anyway, get off that soapbox. All right. Verse 14 of Exodus 12. So here's the Lord instituting this as an annual thing. So this day, on this month, on this day shall be to you a memorial, and you shall keep it as a feast to the Lord throughout your generations. You shall keep it as a feast by an everlasting ordinance. Seven days you shall eat of unleavened bread. On the first day you shall remove leaven from your houses. For whoever eats leavened bread from the first day until the seventh day, that person shall be cut off from Israel. So Gentiles, those that you may know some that want to be Torah keepers, you met any Gentiles or want to be Jews, they want to keep the Torah, look what you're opening yourself up to. If you mess up and eat leavened bread during that week of unleavened bread, you're done. Cut off. Hello. Hello, aren't you glad Jesus fulfilled the law? So to be thorough on this, it's the custom of the Jewish households in the world that are observing the Torah, trying to, they clean their house from top to the bottom for weeks in advance of Passover. Okay, on the first day there shall be a holy convocation, and on the seventh day there shall be a holy convocation for you. No manner of work shall be done on them, but that which everyone must eat, that only may be prepared by you. So, the first day of unleavened bread was a Sabbath, a Shabbat, a holy convocation, a high Sabbath, and the seventh day was a high Sabbath. So, this year, Wednesday, is Passover. It's going to be a Shabbat. It's not replacing Shabbat, which is always the seventh day, but they do not work that day, and it's considered a Sabbath. This is why Sabbath was coming, and they wanted to get Jesus in the ground before sundown so that they wouldn't violate this holy day. And this is where confusion comes in 
with Good Friday. Anybody ever get confused? What is Good Friday? If he died on Friday, he's in the ground on Saturday, and he rises from the dead Sunday morning, how is that three days and three nights? How is that? So the Son of God comes to bring us, you know, honor and salvation, and he lies about it. That is secularization of Christianity. Everybody loves a three-day weekend, but businesses don't want to give us four-day weekends. Hello. It's the truth. So they put him in the ground before this Sabbath. So if it was this week that it was going to happen, he'd have been in the ground before twilight this Tuesday. Because the big day was coming. Anyway, that's a whole nother soapbox. So let's, let's move forward. Now, it's not always on Wednesday. It moves around. Each year it's different. The, the Hebrew culture operates according to a lunar calendar. So based on where it was, it was obviously a different Sabbath than the seventh day. He fulfilled his promise. He was in the ground three days and three nights. Verse 17, so you shall observe the feast of unleavened bread, for on this same day I will have brought your armies out of the land of Egypt. Therefore, you shall observe this day throughout your generations as an everlasting ordinance. All right, this is where the wannabe Jews, the people that think they're keeping Torah, this is where they have messed up. Because if you're going to keep Torah, the instructions for this is really to keep Passover, you must be circumcised. And all the men said, ow! <laughs> you were not allowed. So aren't you glad Jesus fulfilled the law? Yeah, we have circumcision of the heart. Yes, we do. But you know the law also had circumcision of the heart in it. So you're not bypassing the issue. We as Gentiles celebrate Passover, but we're not really keeping the real thing. You understand that, don't you? We're not keeping it because we're required to for generations to come. We will with Jesus in the kingdom. Am I making sense? It's, it's the truth anyway. Then, verse 21, Moses called for all the elders of Israel and said to them, Pick out and take lambs for yourselves according to your families and kill the Passover lamb. And you shall take a bunch of hyssop, dip it in the blood that is in the basin, strike the lentil and the two doorposts with the blood that is in the basin, and none of you shall go out of the door of his house until morning. For the Lord will pass through to strike the Egyptians, and when he sees the blood on the lentil and on the two doorposts, the Lord will pass over the door and not allow the destroyer to come into your houses to strike you. And you shall observe this thing as an ordinance for you and your sons forever. So this was commanded to the descendants of Abraham. Now, in our home, we're not a Jewish home, but Yvette culturally has Jewish roots. And ethnically, we did her DNA. She's 21%. Ashkenazi Jew. So, we join with Gentiles as they celebrate Passover, and we've joined with Jews as they celebrate Passover, and it's a glorious thing, understanding that Christ has fulfilled the law for us. But look at what he did. He's our Passover lamb to keep us free from God's judgment. Isn't that good? So here's a clip from one of our celebrations. It's not just a meal, but there's dancing, there's singing with little kids. It's a family affair. Watch it.
being Jesus and being Jewish, <laughs> he observed Passover. And because he did, we observe it as well, learning what we can from it. And so I mentioned the four cups that are involved in this. The first cup is the cup of sanctification. Second cup is the cup of deliverance. Then the cup of redemption, the cup of restoration. Where do these cups get their name in the tradition of the Passover meal? It comes from God's promise to Moses to give to the children of Israel before the plagues began. The ten plagues. He said, therefore say to the children of Israel, in Exodus 6 verse 6, I am the Lord. I will bring you out from under the burdens of the Egyptians. I will rescue you from their bondage. I will redeem you with an outstretched arm and with great judgments. I will take you as my people and I will be your God. Then you shall know that I am the Lord your God who brings you out from under the burdens of the Egyptians. So here's the phrase that goes with the first cup. The cup of sanctification means to set us apart. It means to come out. It means to be made holy. Kind of like uh, who has special china at your home. You set it apart for a special occasion. The Lord has set us apart for his purpose. And so he promised to bring them apart from their enslavers into the promised land. So that's the cup of sanctification. And I will rescue you. That's the cup of deliverance from their bondage. Some synagogues call it the cup of plagues. Why is it called the cup of plagues? How is that deliverance? Don't you need to be delivered from plagues? Well, the Lord used the plagues to deliver them. And for us to be delivered, Christ was plagued. Death is a plague. Who knows it? Christ took that plague upon himself so that we could go free of the fear of death. So that's the cup of deliverance. And I will redeem you. I believe this is the cup he used when he instituted the Lord's table. I will redeem you. This is the cup of the new covenant in my blood with an outstretched arm and with great judgments. And I will take you as my people. This is the cup of restoration. The Lord is going to fully restore us in heaven one day. What a glorious day it will be. It's called the halal. It's called the cup of praise. And I believe this is the cup he's going to drink in the kingdom. Who's looking forward to that day? So, if you really want to celebrate Passover, restrain yourself and don't drink the fourth cup. Some call it the cup of Elijah. Looking forward to the day when we will drink it. Now, in communion, we remember these things. We're separated, we're sanctified, we're rescued, we're delivered. <laughs> we're redeemed by the what? The blood that was shed for us. The fruit of the vine. There's a verse in the Old Testament that says, wine is the blood of grapes. Well, does your church serve wine or grape juice? Some churches fight over that. And they may even have two lines. One for the grape juice, one for the wine. So here's my response. Does your church serve wine or grape juice? Well, it depends on how old the grape juice is. You know, freshly stomped grapes is wine, right? Brand new, but it's also grape juice. So doesn't that settle the matter? So thank God for the four cups that Christ has fulfilled for us, looking forward to that final cup of total restoration of all things. 
Christ fulfilled Passover with his life. Can we say life? And death. Can we say death? Like Passover lambs, his life was faultless. His life was innocent. They wouldn't take a mean lamb or a rabid lamb to, to be the Passover lamb. He, he lived with them in the house for four days to make sure he was right. And he couldn't have any faults on him. And Christ came, lived a perfect life, totally innocent. But God set it up for him to be killed. What caused the Son of God to be killed? Unbelief. Here's what it was. They didn't want to just destroy him because he was upsetting their apple carts, turning over their money changers temples, but because they believed he was blaspheming. And Leviticus 24 carries a penalty of capital punishment for blasphemy. And the things he said were very blasphemous if they were not true. He said God was his father. And of course, they weren't happy about him telling them that the devil was theirs. <laughs> but if he was not telling the truth, then he, according to the Torah, was worthy of death. How could God allow something like this to happen? Let he set it up so that unbelievers, thinking they were obeying God will put him to death. Now, even they themselves, in so doing, violated the Torah because the Torah said it must be killed by stoning. They didn't. The Romans did the job for them. So everybody is guilty in this particular crime who didn't believe in him. Either he's Lord or he's a liar. And I believe he's Lord. Who believes that Jesus is Lord? Like Passover lambs, his life was faultless. Pilate said, I find no fault in him. Yet, political corruption, pressure of the people, wanting to retain power, wanting to keep Rome, Rome happy, didn't want any phone calls, not that it would be phone calls, didn't want any messengers coming saying, what's going on here? Are you dropping the ball? We're going to send you to the outer banks of Siberia. You can be a ruler over there. No, he liked his cushy job. And so for his own convenience, even though his wife warned him, he washed himself as a, of his responsibility and allowed the crime to be done. It was the ultimate of sins, killing an innocent man, the son of God. You know, slap me around, I won't be happy about it. But slap my child around? Oh, 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 oh that's a whole nother level. So the gospel is a demonstration of God's mercy, his restraint, and his love, because he so loves us that he gave his only begotten son. That's hard to understand. I was raised in a denomination that didn't understand it, and they tried to explain it away. And therefore, they have a jacked-up view of what the gospel is. He was innocent, and he was a son of God, but he took the place of the guilty. And it was unbelief that nailed him to the tree. Will you believe in Jesus? May the Lord open your eyes to see. Like the Passover lambs, his life was executed. It came to an end, but hallelujah, he rose from the grave three days later. Like Passover lambs, his death is substitutionary. So everywhere there wasn't blood on the doorpost, the firstborn son had to go. The firstborn horse, cow, dog, or whatever had to go. But where there was a lamb slain and blood applied, that lamb took the place 
of the devastation that would have come to that home. So Christ is our substitute. He came down so that we could go up. He came out so that we could come in. He became naked so that we could be clothed. He became sin so that we might be made righteous. He is our substitute, like the Passover lamb was for the houses in which it was offered. His death is delivering, setting us free from the plague of death. Sure, we die because we're humans, but really it's just a ceasing of existence for our natural bodies, but we will live forever. In fact, Jesus said, you'll never die. So it's bye-bye body, hello Jesus. To be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord, is it not? And you can argue, are we asleep in his arms or what? I don't know. Uh, like Passover lambs, his death is our protection. Protection from judgment. Protection from fear. Protection from crazy influences in the world. I tell you, without Jesus, people are being led down a bread trail to absolute total foolishness. We're living between Romans 1.16 and Romans 2.11. Romans 1.16 to the end of chapter 1 is about the power of the gospel and the problems that are in the world that God is allowing. Romans 2 verse 1 through 11 is about the church keeping their nose clean and not participating in the same. That's where we're living. So, we read this earlier. When they instituted it this first night, Moses called for all the elders of Israel and said to them, pick out and take lambs for yourselves according to your families and kill the Passover lamb. And you shall take a bunch of hyssop, dip it in the blood that is in the basin and strike the lintel and the two doorposts with the blood that is in the basin. And none of you shall go out of the door of the house until morning. Look at the word basin. All right? That word also means threshold or doorstep. And the rabbis have been debating for centuries. Was there supposed to be a basin that caught the lamb's blood when it was killed? In other sacrifices, great detail. It says, take a basin and kill the dove over the basin and then take the blood that is in the basin. But in this case, kill the lamb and then uh, take the blood that's in the basin and put it on the thing. So... The debate is, was the lamb to be killed over a basin, you know, throat cut? Was the lamb to be killed in the doorway of the house, and the blood that falls on the doorway, they take with hyssop and put on the two doorposts and on the lintel? Here they've kind of blended the two arguments. There's a basin at the basin of the door. So either there's blood in three places or blood in four places. What does that look like to you? The cross. Through Christ we are freed from death. Now notice this, verse 23. For the Lord will pass through to strike the Egyptians, and when he sees the blood on the lintel and on the two doorposts, the Lord will pass over the door. It didn't say the house, over the door. And not allow the destroyer to come into your houses to strike you. So it's almost like the Lord passes over your doorway and keeps destruction out. 
They were not to exit the doorway. Once the blood was applied, everybody had to stay inside. They were protected behind the blood. And the Lord passes over the door and does not allow destruction to come to the houses that had the blood shield. You see that? It's the beauty of the gospel. All right, moving on. Unlike Passover, we've talked about what is like Passover in his life and in his death. What about his resurrection? Unlike Passover, his resurrection gives us 24-7 access to God. You don't have to wait till the first month, to the 10th day, to the 14th day, to seven days later to experience the benefits of Passover. 24-7, 86,400 seconds every day, he is available for you to call on his name and reap the benefits of his sacrifice. Are you struggling with fear? Call on the name of the Lord. Are you struggling with temptation? Call on the name of the Lord. Are you struggling with condemnation? Call on the name of the Lord anytime. You don't have to wait till Sunday morning or Sabbath morning. You don't have to wait till Christmas or Resurrection Day. He's available. Unlike Passover, his resurrection gives righteousness, permanent righteousness. The old covenant had blood sacrifices that atone your sins for a year. And then you had to do it again. But we have been imputed with righteousness that's not based on our behavior, but upon his. He took his perfect record and credited, credited it to us. And our horrible record took it with him to the cross. Hung in the air between heaven and earth between past, present, and future, for all time providing permanent salvation to us so that we might be made right with God. Unlike Passover, his resurrection gives eternal life. Can you say that? Eternal life. And unlike Passover, his resurrection gives boldness. Boldness to approach the throne of grace in time of need. And we have there at the throne one who knows what it's like to be human. God is able to empathize with us not just because of his superior intelligence. You know, Psalms 136, each verse ends in that chapter with these words, his mercy endures forever. And the Lord did this, for his mercy endures forever. And the Lord did that, for his mercy endures forever. So God was already merciful, but so that he might be even more merciful he became one of us so he could be a compassionate high priest, easily touched with the feelings of our infirmities. And it's not just sympathy, oh, poor baby. It's compassion. Compassion goes beyond being sorry or having sympathy, but it includes a passion to relieve the pain and remove the cause. Check it out. So we can come boldly to him with our need. So in conclusion, if you're in here and you've not reaped the benefits of calling on the name of the Lord and being freed from your bad record, having the separation between you and God and you and your fellow man removed by the offering of Jesus Christ, administered through his priesthood, you can do it today. Oh, I've been too bad. Well, 
the people in those houses during the Passover weren't all that perfect. In fact, they were so imperfect, God did not take them into the promised land. They were so full of fear. They accused God, you brought us out here to die. So they weren't perfect people, yet they were protected by the Passover lamb's blood. So Jesus' blood was shed for you and I, not because of our perfection, but because of his. And you and I can reap the benefit of that by calling on his name, not because we're worthy, but because he's worthy. You see that? You can have assurance of eternal life today. You know, God knows everything. He knows the end from the beginning. He knows the past from the future. He knows the universe from its most microscopic detail to its hugest details. Large numbers or small numbers do not scare him. He knows everything. It's called omniscience. Yet there's three things he does not know. What? Yes. He does not know of a sinner that he doesn't love. God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, so that whoever believes in him should not have to perish but might have eternal life. So he doesn't know of a sinner he doesn't love, but he doesn't know of a sin he does not hate. Because the sin that he hates separates him from the sinners that he loves. Two things he doesn't know. There's no sin there's no such thing as a white lie to him. He can't stand it all because it, it wounds relationships, destroys trust, robs us of our potential. God does not like it. The third thing he doesn't know, he doesn't know of any other way to save a sinner whom he loves from the sin that he hates other than through a relationship with his son. There's actually a fourth thing. He doesn't know of a better time for you and I to take advantage of a relationship with his son to be delivered from the sin that he hates because he loves us so much. There's no other time better than right now. Let's just bow our heads. Lord, I pray for other, every person here. Lord, if they do not have a relationship with you, if they've not experienced the benefits of your offering for us, taking our place, our punishment that we deserve, Lord, I pray that saving faith would dawn, on their, dawn in their heart or that they would know the gospel is true, that it's not just a beautiful story, but it's a story that's important, it's a story that is relatable to us. So, Lord, I pray that you would cause saving faith to dawn in the hearts of my fellow man and women in this room today. Lord, may we reach out and talk to someone about giving you our lives. Okay, look up at me. I became a believer singing a little song like this with all my heart. I was five years old. It's so simple you can miss it. You don't have to understand to be able to explain all the details I got into today. Just call on his name. A little song, come into my life. Come into my life. Come into my life, Lord Jesus. Come in today. Come in to stay. 
Come into my life, Lord Jesus. That's where it starts, just calling on his name. You don't have to sing to him unless you want to. But giving him your life and inviting him in. Saying, as we sang earlier today, Jesus be the center. From my heart to the heavens, Jesus be the center of my life. From my heart to the heavens, Jesus be the center. It's all about you. Yes, it's all about you. From my heart to the heavens, Jesus be the center. It's all about you. Yes, it's all about you. From my heart to the heavens, Jesus be the center. All about you. Yes, it's all about you. Let me lead you in a prayer. If you want to give your life to Jesus, you pray something like this. The phrase doesn't save you. Jesus saves you. That's why whoever calls on the name of the Lord has the promise. Just repeat after me, all of us together. Lord Jesus Christ, Lord Jesus Christ I, call upon your name. I call upon your name. I ask you to save me. I believe you are the Son of God. I believe you died for our sins. I believe you died for my sins. I believe you have risen from the dead. I invite you into my life. Make me yours, Lord. From my heart to the heavens, Jesus be the center. It's all about you. Yes, it's all about you. From my heart to the heavens, Jesus be the center. It's all about you. Yes, it's all about you. One more time. From my heart to the heavens, Jesus be the center. It's all All right. Who would like to pray with someone to know Jesus? All right. Look around and ask three people. You may think you know the answer, but you don't know. Ask, I want everybody to ask this question. Do you know the Lord Jesus Christ as your Savior and your friend? Just start asking. And if somebody says, I really don't know, then pause right there and pray with them. Can we do that?